good afternoon, good morning, good evening, TJs, depending on where you are in the world and when you're listening to this. I am Joe Cook and I'm delighted to be here with Savvy Sarah. Now, Sarah, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, Joe. Um, yeah, so Savvy Sarah, also known as Sarah Harvey in the real world. Um, I um, am a leadership coach and I'm a management trainer predominantly. Um, and uh, I, so I work with people on a one-to-one basis or in groups, basically all around these days, um, setting up the right culture for the organisation to have the right conversations, which we'll come on to, um, and dealing with things when things go a bit wrong as well. So I tend to go in and help people when um, things have got to a level of conflict they need a bit of help with. Um, and all of that is um, really good fodder, really, for, for the book that I've just written. And what a great book it is. I've been having a look through it, A Practical Framework for Effective Workplace Relationships. And so tell me, what is a savvy conversation? Because you go into this in the book um, in more detail. Yeah, I do. And I think for me, it was really important to break down. First of all, if I can say the reason I chose to call it savvy conversations rather than difficult conversations or or versions of that um, is because I I think we need to start thinking about these conversations that we're having day to day um, in a more positive, um, you know, with a more positive mindset. So so savvy really is a lovely way to just say, I want to have the know-how to have the conversation in the best possible way. Um, Have I got the knowledge the skills to have the conversation that I need to have. And so um, Savvy really kind of summed that up in, in a nice practical way for me. Um, and then on the, on the other hand, I think it's really worth thinking about what the definition of a conversation is, because particularly in the workplace, so many um, conversations are uh, too top down or they're loaded, or they're one way, and getting people to engage properly with uh, a two-way conversation, um, I think is um, something which we need to remind ourselves about. So really making sure that we're engaging people in a proper conversation. Yeah, and I really like the, the Cambridge Dictionary definition you have in the book is a talk between two or more people in which thoughts, feelings, and ideas are expressed questions are asked and answered or news and information is exchanged and all of those words are so important and I think it's not just work I've I've, I think we've all had those conversations in our private life where we're thinking this is not a conversation you are talking to me and that's a very different thing yeah it really is and and I and I think that's a really good point that you make about um you know the the definition there is you know are we are when we're having these conversations particularly at work but as you say outside of work too um are we expressing the right level of feelings are we oversharing or are we holding things back so you know being able to properly share in an open way but not too open is where mm. the that and that's where the nuances come and that's what I'm hoping to help people with and you share a few stats, well, you share lots of stats and research in the book, which is awesome. Um, and there's one or two I wanted to pick out. You say here, according to one report, employees fear crucial conversations. 34% of managers admitted to having put off a difficult conversation for at least a month. Mm. 
and 25% had put it off for over a year. I know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, what does that do to relationships and, and also to productivity at work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have really found this working with um, organisations over, over the years that actually, although that statistic sounds really shocking, that, that why would managers put off a conversation for that long? Actually, you know, they do. They genuinely do. And and the, and the reasons being, you know, around the worrying about the fallout usually, mm. um, and of course that that this is this is why conflict uh, occurs. There's things just go simmering along. Um, on the face of it, maybe things seem to be bubbling okay, um, and people are uh, pretending that they're getting along. But actually, in terms of productivity, they're not talking about the things that they need to talk about. Or in terms of resolving underlying conflict, you know, then when there is something really important that can't wait, of course, then people react in an emotionally uh, inappropriate way. So then we get the fallout and teams not working as effectively as they should be together. Absolutely. And of course, that applies to our private life. We can all think of times where we think, yeah, I'm not going to have that conversation with my mum, dad, brother, sister, partner, kids Mm. until next week or next month. And and as you say, things build up and resentments happen, don't they? And and, and do you get a sense of, of like why people procrastinate in this way? Yeah, I do. I think um, most of the time it is actually down to some kind of fear. And although fear sounds like a strong word to use, um, I do I do believe that. And I think it's either a fear of upsetting people, which is, again, some of the other research that I've done, but backs that up. Um, so of hurting people's feelings, of not knowing if we can actually handle the conversation, because there's that unknown. We might know the person, so we may have history with them, which may be another issue, because that yeah. history may not have been as positive as we would have liked. But also um, even people that we don't know very well, with there's that unknown. We can prepare and prepare for a conversation and how we think it's going to go in our heads. But, of course, there's two people, at least, in the yeah. conversation. And so, um, actually, it, it's quite tricky to really plan the conversation out because you're only planning one side of it. Uh, so it's that fear of the unknown I think is often what holds people back yeah and I think you know the other side of this is you know if we've got 34% of people putting things off for a month well the other 70 whatever that is 60% of people aren't doing that but that doesn't mean they're doing things well does it absolutely yeah I mean so some some will be of course and some conversations will go brilliantly some even even those of us um, and I'd like to put myself in that category those of us who think we generally get it right even so we don't get it right all the time there's no way I get it right all the time and I look at this stuff and study this stuff all the time so um and and why is that well it's because I I didn't I didn't read the other person in the best way or I picked the wrong time for the conversation or I've just misjudged it or my feelings over overran. You, you know, there's all sorts of kind of um, different factors that come into play to um, to make sure that that conversation goes brilliantly. So, uh, so the other side of it is to say, actually, sometimes we're a bit hard on ourselves and we don't have the conversation because we're worried about not getting it perfect. And actually, perfect is really hard to achieve. 
Um, I, I think some of the some of the tactics um, that I talk about will help get as close to perfect as possible, but we're never going to get every single conversation exactly right. There's too many factors that are unknown. Yeah. And especially when, you know, if we use those terms of difficult conversations or crucial conversations, the ones we, we mm. kind of tried to avoid at the beginning, you know, they are challenging and they're challenging for all sorts of loaded reasons. And one of the other stats I wanted to pull out uh, was the Health and Wellbeing at Work 2019 report from the CIPD found that 43% of workers said that management style was a direct cause of stress at work. That's oh so challenging. And then it goes to that old saying of people, was it join firms and leave managers? That's right. That's right. Uh, I, and I, I suppose, you know, I, I feel for managers in this in this sense because they're they're obviously um doing their best. They're 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 often in the middle. So they're the ones that are under a lot of pressure from the business owners or directors of the company, you know, to get results, to get their team to be performing to the greatest productivity. Um, and then they're, and then from the other side, their team is, you know, maybe unhappy or uh, maybe needs a different type of leadership to, to what mm. they're able to give. Um, and they are caught in the middle. Um, so it it is it's a difficult place um, for managers, and I and I think for me the key learning in my career was that the conversations that those managers have on a day to day basis are kind of the if you like the smallest units of change. So so they're the <laughs> things that then build up and build up and either create a positive relationship with with the team member yeah. or the, the resentment builds up and then as you say people leave their managers basically I really like that because we keep hearing around any type of behavior change that it's the small decisions that build up whether that's saving money losing weight trying to get over a behavior change issue adjusting your opinion about something it's those small things that build yes, up definitely and one of oh, there's so much in your book that's really good, but one thing I wanted to pick out was the psychological safety element. And you say that certain situations can trigger thoughts that make it more difficult to step forward and have the conversation you need to have, such as disagreeing with your boss or authority figure. Mm, mm. Uh, people are fearful of approaching about certain issues. And there's so many loaded issues in the workplace these days. And how do you react when someone criticizes your work, which, which I deal with really badly, incidentally, because my <laughs> basic opinion is that I'm perfect. So, <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but how, how can we, whichever role we're in, how can we handle that psychological safety? That's such a good question. And, and um, of course, that's the starting point um, of the framework. It is around keeping things safe. How do we, so as an individual, how do we get ourselves in a place where we feel that um, we're safe enough to have the conversation that we want to have and that we need to have? Uh, and then there's other layers to it, isn't there? So as a manager, how do I make it safe for my team members to raise whatever they want with me um, and as an organization how do I make it safe for people to call stuff out that should be called out um, and to have the conversations that they need to have and I, I, but if we go right the way back to the level of the individual of course that psychological safety has got to be the starting point because 
you know, if we don't feel able to to criticise somebody, if for want of a better word, you know, be able to give that feedback or to just disagree them with 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 somebody, then we're not going to we're, we're just not going to speak up. And I think it's really important to think of the psychological stuff that's going on for us, and that that as we've all heard about that fight or flight um, mechanism mm. that's all within us. Um, that says, yeah, I will put my hand up in this meeting and say this thing that needs to be said, but nobody's saying it. You know, what? what is it in one person that says, I'm going to just say that? And I feel absolutely safe and secure to be able to make this criticism. And, and yet somebody else, may, for exactly the same issue, in exactly the same circumstance, may just not feel safe that they and and when I and when I say safe, obviously um, I am talking about the psychological side of it. So uh, am I going to look silly if I say this thing? Are people going to laugh at me? Uh, uh, is somebody going to get angry? Um, mm. and, and so it, it's really feeling able to speak up. And, and then it's really about working on ourselves. It's about actually um, understanding, having that self-awareness that says, actually, I am okay. I am, I, I am, my opinion is worth expressing. And if somebody doesn't agree with me, that's okay. Um, we are able to have a relationship that's a, um, a, a good relationship, that's a trusting and um, it is uh, you know, perfectly good relationship, but we can still disagree with one another. And that's where that psychological safety is so very important. Um, the very last thing that I wanted to talk about, and I, I love the image that you've got for this in your book as well, is the savvy seesaw. I love the um, savvy seesaw. <laughs> yeah, because I, I love the the image in the book. Is it's a obviously it's two people on a seesaw. It's very kind of a, a cut out kind of line diagram. Mm. Um, and on one side, it's about getting results, which is what we need to do in business. On the other side, it's maintaining relationships. But tell me a bit about that pivot point in the middle. Yeah, this this for me um, is is the beauty of um, the 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 savvy conversations approach actually because what what it, this is exactly what it all boils down to and on the one hand every single conversation that we're trying to have is to get a result of some kind isn't it it's to yeah. try and um, get some feedback across or get your message across or whatever whatever it might be it's got to get some results and at the same time we need to maintain those relationships so that pivot point there um, is is absolutely crucial to try and stay as um, as near to being a balanced seesaw as possible. So um, sometimes the urgency of an issue will mean that you've got to really put um, more attention in the moment on getting a particular result right now. But we still want to do that without damaging the relationship in any way. So uh, it might be that the seesaw goes slightly up on one side and slightly down on the other. And so, and so it goes on. And sometimes you might not tackle something that you actually think, oh, someone hasn't done a very good piece of work there, but it's not the right time for me to tackle yeah. that because I need to take care of our relationship right now. So it's okay for that um, balance to kind of go a little bit backwards and forwards. What I think is really good about the visual of the savvy seesaw is that where um, 
conflict, if you can think of any time when you've been in conflict with somebody, then what tends to happen is the seesaw is winging from one side to the other (laughs) um, and, you know, bouncing from get results to maintain relationships. And that's where we find the damage occurs because we're not being consistent in our behaviour or uh, people don't know where, where they are with us. Um, so actually being able to balance that seesaw is absolutely crucial and what I maintain is that if you do that if you keep your seesaw in balance you are going to really stand the best chance to have the right conversation um, because we've got to make sure that we're having actually the conversations we should be having so the right conversation and that we're having it in the right way and we've got the tools that we can um, uh, draw on to have the conversation in the right way and that also very importantly which often gets missed is the 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 third element to it is making sure we're doing it at the right time because we could have the right conversation we could have it in the right way but if we pick the wrong moment and the person mm. is not res- receptive or we we haven't picked the right moment for us because we're angry or we're you know we're acting un- out of emotion then it's not the right time to have that conversation so it's really good learning point i think to try and balance those three things the right conversation mm. in the right way at the right time and that will help that that pivot point stay um you keep that the the savvy seesaw in balance love it and also I just love actually that there can be an element of fun to this as well like the actual diagram even though it's like a a, like stick figures you can definitely see one is leaning forward one is like absolutely (laughs) and so I think actually that lightness of that touch is really good yeah Sarah I always always love chatting with you uh can you tell us where to buy the book and also where can we find out more about you and your work yes thank you so the book is going to be available from the 8th of January um it will be available as the as the saying goes in all good books bookstores <laughs> um you can get it from Amazon um you can get a Kindle version or you know um or a uh, hardback version um so i can't point point you exactly to there yet because it's not loaded up onto amazon um you can also get it directly from me from my website which is savvyconversations.co.uk and there you'll find all the information you might need about all things savvy Wonderful. And if we want to find you on Twitter? Yeah, Twitter, I'm Savvy Sarah SPM. Um, so find me, yeah, if you just uh, look for Savvy Sarah, hopefully there aren't too many of us around. Um, so you'll find, <laughs> find me on Twitter, find me on LinkedIn, also Savvy Sarah. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I'm on most uh, social platforms, but main, mainly Twitter and LinkedIn. Okay. Well, Savvy Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and good luck with the book. Thanks so much, Joe.